Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for our first episode of 2024 is none other than former Worcestershire spin bowler, Ben Tuhig. So Ben, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, it's um, been fine, thank you. No complaints. Thanks for having me. How's your day been? Well, it's been very good, mate, to be honest. Yes, the, the weather has been atrocious, though, hasn't it? Let's just get that out there right from the get-go. It's been raining, it's been cold, it's been miserable, it's been cloudy. The only thing that we're missing realistically now is snow, right? The weather here in the Midlands has been absolutely atrocious, but... Yeah, glad to hear that you're doing well, mate. And of course, yeah, 2024, not long to go until the start of the new county season, of course. We're recording this in January. I believe, as of this recording, I think we're 93 days away from the start of the county championship. So not wow. very long to go at all until we're back at our respective home grounds. But then before we talk about the wonderful worlds of county cricket and we explore your time at Worcestershire County Cricket Club, I wanted to transport you all the way back to the origins of the Ben Tuhig cricketing story. So what were your first ever memories of cricket, either playing or watching this simply sensational game? Um, I think I've got a visceral memory of playing outside Burstall Cricket Club, which is in West Yorkshire, while everyone's inside. And I was outside with my mates playing with Wimball against the bins. I must have been six, I reckon. A couple of cans of full-fat Coke in me and a bag of Quavers, probably, something like that. And playing literally till it was pitch black. And then I remember watching my dad play, probably that same day, for Burstall. He just used to block it, like he blocked Blocked 50 overs. He batted 50 overs, I reckon. He was on about 60 not out. Carried his bat. Yeah, and then you'd play all night with the wind ball against the bin. Well, it's a lovely route into the game. It really is, not just in terms of the days outs, playing against the bins until it's it's pitch black and dark out there with your two cans of Coke and Quavers in those yeah. early days, but in terms of that family connection as well through your dad's at Burstall and in terms of your dad's name, Ben, just to give him a bit of a shout out, kickstart proceedings in a nice wholesome manner for 2024. Sean Tuhig. Sean Tuhig. Is he a legend up in Burstall? He is. He's a very, very northern man who loves, like, loves cricket, like, loves cricket more than me, loves cricket. Is he a badger? Big, the One of the biggest. He probably, while we're recording this now, he's sat watching the Big Bash highlights. As he should, because yeah. Sam Hayne scored 51 from 36 today. So oh, anyone really? watching today's highlights will be massively impressed by the Hayne yeah. train. Yeah, 51 from 36 in a victory by six wickets for the Hobart Hurricanes. But yeah, that is absolutely lovely to hear, Ben. So shout out to Sean, shout out to the Tuhig family, because quite clearly they had a massive influence on those early days then. And aside from familial connections, Ben, in terms of the wider game of, of cricket itself, did you have any role models, any icons, any influences 
in those formative years who you try to emulate in some ways, per se? I really, really, really like Daniel Vittori. I love Daniel Vittori. I mean, especially obviously as a left arm spinner, he just was like poetry. And then the other person, which is so rogue, and because I don't, I literally cannot bowl fast. If I tried to bowl fast, it still spins like it's with a spinner's action, is Flintoff. But I think it was mainly for his batting. Like I just loved that he was just gun her, like walloped it. Would get 40 and then caught long off or something. And I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, two wonderful shouts there, to say the least. Freddie Flintoff, obviously a legend of both Lancashire and, of course, England. Just an icon in every single sense of the definition with the bats and the ball in hand, his celebrations as well. Absolutely top tier. And can I just say, as an RCB fan and a lover and appreciator of New Zealand cricket, Daniel Vittori is a great shout. I don't think his name has cropped up in a very, very long time on this podcast. But yeah, 362 test wickets for New Zealand over the course of an illustrious career. Great white ball bowler as well. And you mentioned his action. Poetry in motion, wasn't it? Just floated into the crease, always picked up wickets. What a shout. In terms of those two players, Ben, this might be a difficult question, to be honest, yeah. but I always like to ask it. If you could have a net session with Dan Vittori or Freddie Flintoff, who would you choose and why? I think I would go for Vittori because I, I just love to bowl with him. Him bowl at me. I bowl at him. Just like old school like you bowl at me mate I'll bowl at you after and then I've heard he likes a nice craft beer so then we could get a crafty after well there you go Daniel Vittori if you're listening to today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast get in contact with Ben Tuhig sounds like a lovely way to spend a net session and yeah to be honest I think you'd learn an awful lot with uh, with the New Zealand spin wizard goodness me what a cricketer could bat as well Let's not forget that the amount of times that he'd bail out the black caps in both red ball and white ball crickets. Again, I don't even think you can count them on your hands. He was an absolutely fantastic all-rounder. And yeah, I I miss watching him. I've got to be honest, I really do. So yeah, Daniel Vittori, what a shout that is, Ben. And talking of the the wonderful arts of spin bowling, I say this as a quote-unquote spinner myself, although some people who've watched me bowl would probably describe me as a slow bowler. Or a, or a buffet bowler, depending on if you're facing me, either in the nets or in the middle. But in terms of spin bowling, where did that love first originate, per se? Because you mentioned about your action and you mentioned about those early days. And I'm guessing that right from the get-go, you've always been a spin bowler, given that connection with with Daniel Vittori as well and that love of, of that side of the game. So in terms of that love of spin, where do you think that actually does originate from, per se? Um... I think, well, he'll probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I used to bowl spin with the wind ball because, again, my dad was like, there's no real left arm spinners around. It was in that time, Joe, like the left arm spinner is now that leg spinner, is now like, you know, that luxury bowler. Whereas now they're just, 
You know, you have one or you don't. And every team's got a leggy now, every team. And that was the same in like the early 2000s up until like the mid 2010s. It was like that left arm's been a luxury. And I think my dad kind of saw that come in because it was no one really bowled left arm off spin. So he's kind of like, try it. And then I tried it and I could spin it. I've never been shy of being able to spin the ball, which sounds stupid because you're a spinner, but it, a lot of spinners don't spin it or they're not big turners of the ball. I can, I could always spin the ball with wind ball. And I was just kind of like, well, if I can spin it, all I've got to do is get accurate. Well, maybe that never came, but you know, that was just what it was. I it was guess I was just me and yeah, me and my dad, I guess just playing around. I probably beat beat the bat of my brother a few times in the garden and thought, fancy this. I bet you did, because as you mentioned, back in that time frame, it was a commodity, wasn't it, to have a left arm off spinner in your yeah. ranks? I know that obviously in the modern game, there's a lot more nowadays. So just off the top of my head, I can think of Shaqib Alassane, yeah. Ravi Jadeja, Axar Patel. You look in county cricket with the likes of Danny Briggs, Liam Patterson White. Tom Hartley, for example, who's going on tour for the England Lions now to India as well. And, of course, Jack Leach. How could I forget Leach, yeah. an England test spinner? So there are an awful lot of, of left-arm spin bowling options now. So I do think that was quite a sensible route to actually go down. And in terms of the art form itself, what do you say is your favourite aspect of bowling fingerspin? It sounds, like, really arty. But I love the feeling of when it comes like off your fingers like i'm a quite a feely bowler like i've got if i feel good then i can keep that feeling for a long time so it's one of them things where it, when i feel it come off the finger and i know it's going to dip and spin like even if it's not you know it doesn't beat the bat or it's not the best ball ever i can tell where it's if i close my eyes and bowled i could tell where it's going to pitch and if it's going to be good or not I think that's the that's the feeling I love the most. I'll tell you all, that is a great answer. Because it's so important, isn't it, to be honest, when we yeah. talk about feel and grip as a spin bowler, you need to be comfortable with both yeah. of those things. And I know what you mean. Even though I'm not a massive turner of the ball, when you do just get that nice little feeling on the inside of that middle finger and the index yeah. as well, and you just know the ball's come out beautifully, it is a very, very nice feeling, to say the least. So, yeah, that is a lovely way to describe it, Ben. And... I suppose this is more touching on the coaching aspects, I suppose, and also in terms of your personal perspective of the art form. But let's say for young spin bowlers who are coming up in the game nowadays and, you know, want to succeed in this particular discipline, what do you think are the most important attributes for a spin bowler to possess? Having been through first-class cricket, having now coached it for a couple of seasons, what do you think are the main attributes, characteristics and traits that young spinners need in order to succeed first and foremost you just you've got to spin the ball like whether you spin it two inches or 12 trying you've got to be able to get it off the straight in some way because that's what obviously differs makes you different from a slow bowler and you're not obviously going to spin it on every pitch which is fine but if the pitch is conducive to spin you've got to be able to spin it and then i think the next the only other thing that i would say is like is enjoy it 
like enjoy bowling because when you bowl spin, you get hit for six. You get swept off good balls. You get reverse swept off good balls. And it's like, if you don't really enjoy bowling, it's, you know, it's not that fun. Because it's not like you bowl fast and you can hit someone in the head or break someone's toe or whatever. And you get that, like, feeling of, you know, I'm invincible. You don't get that when you bowl spin. So you've got to enjoy it. So just enjoy running up and trying to spin it. Would be well, that's a lovely answer and a lovely way to, to look at the art form itself because at times it is very frustrating, isn't it? Let's face it, we see this at all levels of cricket, but you do see spinners get absolutely carted at times, regardless yeah. of whether they're a right arm off spinner, a left arm finger spinner, of course, leg spinners, both right arm and left arm. It can be a very, very unforgiving discipline at times, but you're a difference maker. That's what I always think with spin bowlers, and I mean that in both a positive and a negative way, because if you come on and you do go at 10s, 12s, 15s and over, you've made the wrong kind of difference. But if you can come on, hold up an end, build that pressure, maybe take a wicket or two, you've completely changed the narrative of the game itself. So you really are an X factor, regardless of whether you're a finger spinner or, of course, a leg spinner. And in terms of the more difficult aspects of the discipline, Ben, what do you think is the most difficult thing about being a finger spinner? I think the well, it's not an inability because obviously some people can do it and like I can do it to an extent, but it's not like a leg spinner where you have a a googly and that's in your armory. It's that ability to spin the ball both ways, not with ease, but with a similar action. You know, a Karen ball is very difficult and not saying a google is not but it's a lot it seems to come hand in hand with bowling leg spin is you bowl a googly whereas i'm 25 and probably three years ago probably post my career i started bowling a carom ball and i've still not really bowled one in a match whereas if you were eight years old you'd probably bowl a googly alongside your leg spinner so it kind of comes hand in hand so i think that's probably not pushing that spinning it both ways at a young age becomes then more difficult when you get better and you're playing against better batters that you've only got that one edge to beat. So you've got this instead of having two balls that spin different ways. Well, that does make sense to be honest, because it is the common frustration, isn't it? Unless you're facing. So for example, with, with left arm finger spin and you're facing a right-handed batter, you can beat both edges, of course, because you can turn it away from the bat and you can just bowl the arm ball back into the right-hander. But I suppose when you're facing a left-hander, you don't have the ball spinning both ways. Either way, you're pretty much bowling into their hitting arc, which can be very, very difficult at times. And in particular for young spin bowlers, because I always do want to ask this question for those who have experienced this at the highest level. In terms of those days where, let's say, things haven't gone your way, and you are getting absolutely carted mm. about the field, Ben. How did you, in your playing days, actually just take a step back and get yourself back into the, the heat of the battle? Did you have any tactics, any strategies that you'd employ during a match which could just bring you back almost into that sense of confidence and, and self-belief in a match day scenario? Well, I think, in all honesty, it was something I wasn't very good at. Like at all. And I think 
you know, anyone who would listen to this and probably played with me from 17 to 22, if I was good, I was great. And if I wasn't good, I was terrible. Now I can, I've learned things over time and as you get older. And that's why spinners mature a lot later because you do just learn things over time. Like it's just how it goes. Um, but I think for young people, it's taking a step back, taking a big deep breath and just remembering that it doesn't really matter. Like the grand scheme of things, does it matter? No. You're just feeling, you know, anxious and angry and, you know, that you've had some unjust because you've been hit for six or whatever, three or four times. But the next ball, you could get them out and then you win. You've won. So you just got to think it doesn't matter what's gone. What's gone's gone. And just bowl. For me, my saying, and I've always said it since I was 18, is just bowl your best ball. Whether the best ball at the time is a wide yorker because they're hitting you for six and you've got two deep points, you know, because the boundary's 20 yards or whatever in April on the leg side. If that's your best ball, bowl it, but commit to bowling it. So I think it's taking that big deep breath, step back, put things into perspective quite quickly. It's not the end of the world. You're just getting hit for six. It's fine. Bowl your best ball. Absolutely. I think that is a wonderful way to to look at it, to be honest, because without sounding too profound about this, when Mm. it comes to those days where you do just have an absolute shocker and you might go 10 plus and over, in the grand scheme of things, it is arbitrary, isn't it? Let's face it, you've always got the next game. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of your career. You can always bounce back. And that is just what you have to have. You've got to possess such a thick skin as a spin bowler because you will have some really bad days, and that's absolutely fine because the best of the best have them. We're talking even up to international level. You'll see the best spin bowlers go at 10, 12, even 16 runs and over at time. But the great thing about the great spinners is that they bounce back, and when they do bounce back, they're outstanding. You cannot take your eyes off of them. So if you are a young spin bowler, just keep at it. It's yeah. a difficult art form. You're not going to master it at the age of 19 or 20 years old. It's just not feasible, right? Sometimes you get these freaks of nature, the likes of a Rashid Khan or a Rian Ahmed, for example, who just come on and they take to it like a duck to water. But the vast majority of spinners do not properly mature in this art form until they're in the late 20s. And that's exactly. absolutely fine. You're going to have these bad games. You're going to have these bad days, but just stick at it because yeah. spin bowlers are absolute gold dust. Whether you're a finger spinner, whether you're a slow bowler, whether you're a leg spinner, just keep at it, persevere, and the rewards will definitely come. And Ben, in terms of your county cricket journey, we just have to talk about this because mm-hmm. I'm aware that we've we've spoken a lot there about the art of spin bowling. And yeah. I imagine, to be honest, yeah. we'll probably touch upon it even more detail as the episode progresses. But I did really want to touch upon your time here in the West Midlands at New yeah. Road for Worcestershire. So in terms of that initial opportunity, how did that materialise? How did Ben Tuhig go from playing for his local team in Burstall up in West Yorkshire to representing the pairs of Worcestershire? Um, well, yeah, it was a bit of a... I don't know how to describe it, but it it kind of happened. I was playing for Yorkshire under 12s, 12s or 13s, it would have been. 
maybe thirteens, one of them, twelves or thirteens. It was a long time ago, and my dad got a phone call from a guy called Lee Smith, whose son was Liam, who had the year before got a scholarship to go to Malvern College and be on the Worcestershire Academy. And it was all a bit of a, like a hoo-ha because he was going to get a place on the Yorkshire Academy. And then it was kind of like a, you stole my player kind of majig. So then they stopped that completely, but you could still get a scholarship through the school because obviously, you know, school education is education. And then once you're in, you know, Malvern, which is 20 minutes away from Worcester, 15 minutes, you're not going to travel to Headingley on a Wednesday night, like, so I got an offer to go there on a scholarship and I went down and it was nothing like my high school in Morley, which is near Leeds, to say the least, like it was like Hogwarts, like it was mad. Um, and I bowled at Tom Curler Cadmore, who's obviously just got picked in the IPL in a big bash. Um, and I bowled really well. Like, I was only, like, 13. I just was kind of one of them things where I didn't prepare for it. I was probably wearing a pair of, like, Lacoste trainers or something. I was so not, like, engaged whatsoever to cricket, really. I was just decent at it. But I kind of always loved other sports as well. And when I was like, go for it, I think you'll be all right. So I bowled at him, bowled really well. And the Mark Hardins, who the master in charge at Malvern, still is, it's kind of like, yeah, we want to offer you a scholarship. And I barely bowled at this point. And I was cheeky, like, proper little cheeky boy. And I basically said, well, I'm not going to stop bowling because, you know, I've travelled three hours, so do you think I can have a nice bowl? And he was like, yeah, if you want. And I think he was probably a bit shocked. Um, so then we went home and I was kind of like, I can't go there. Like, me and that, just we're not, you know, it's not right. I can't do it. And... He was kind of like, yeah, yeah, all right. And then sure as hell, I was there in September. <laughs> One way or the other, I was going. I don't, I don't think there was any other choice in it. Um, so then I went on that, went there and then did my first school year, trained with the school and whatever. They kind of didn't want me to go on to the academy that early. It was Damien Dolivera at the time, um, who's obviously passed away now. And he was pretty adamant that he was like you're gonna be good but don't push it too soon have your first year obviously I was away from home pretty much in another life like it was a different way of life to what I'd been used to play your football play rugby like have fun and then the next year you can do it so I just trained a little bit obviously trained we was to there and there but I wasn't on the academy fully then the year after I got into the academy did that whole thing, you know, and then you get in, you get to like your 16, 17 and I did my GCSEs and I didn't really want to do my A-levels. I just wanted to play cricket, but I probably wasn't good enough. So I did one year of my A-levels at Malvern. Well, it was actually the first, I basically, me and another lad got them to put on B-Tech for the first time ever. So we did a B-Tech sport and then I did an A-level in drama. And he did his in, yeah, I used to love, I, I performed all the time. It was really quite strange. 
but fun. We won't come to that because that'll be a whole other podcast. I'll be on the West End or something tomorrow. Well, hang on, Ben. No, 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 no. Hang on, I'm going to stop you right there because it's not often we get a chance to discuss the world of the thespian here on the County mm-hmm. Cricket Podcast. So before we, we go any further in terms of, of favourite plays, favourite shows, what do you say is your all-time favourite play? I love Les Mis. Les Mis is good. Like, very good. Um, But I do also like a musical. Although I'm very poor at singing. But I like watching them. Um, I, I To be honest... I could watch anything live. I really enjoy, yeah, watching live performances, theatre, anything. Fair enough. As I said, we, we don't often get that on the podcast. That's why I did just want to interject and, and talk about it slightly, because this is the great thing about the podcast, right? We can have these conversations about things outside of cricket as well, and this is all a case of, of getting to know you as not only a cricketer, but also as a person, Ben. So... I'm glad that you you touched upon that, but I've got to say this as a resident of Warwickshire. No mention of Shakespeare, no Hamlet, no Macbeth, no, no Romeo and Juliet. I'm not a big Shakespeare fan. Like it wasn't my my go-to. To be honest, we could have an entire podcast yeah. about that that side of well, that side of life. To be honest, performing drama musicals, theatre, all that good stuff. But yeah, we, we won't in, indulge too much because, of course, we do have a lot to discuss cricket-wise in the podcast, Ben. But yeah, yeah. it definitely could be an interview piece in the future. But getting back on track then yeah. to that time spent at, at Morven College because, again, it's interesting, isn't it, how much of a of a different life that is, of course. Mm. You've you've grown up until that point in, in West Yorkshire and then all of a sudden you're down here in the Midlands at Morven. It's a very, very different way of life. And... In terms of those days at Morven College, just before we touch upon Worcestershire and your time at New Road, yeah. what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned from your time at that particular school? That's tough. That's a big question. Wow. Um, I think the biggest thing I learned when I was there was, you know, it's a big world. It's a very big world. You got people from all over the world coming to school with obviously different backgrounds financially, let's say, um, with important parents, some people with less important parents, but with similar finances. And when you are like I even go back home now, like to Bristol. And you're just there, like nothing else matters Like in the world. You're just there and you pop down the shop and you get whatever you need and probably the same person still behind the counter and you're giving it, you know, and everything's, you know, just nice and small. And I kind of got there and it was like, wow, this is a, you know, big bad world out there. And it just, yeah, opened my eyes to how vast life is, I guess. I bet it did because it is a completely different way of of living your life, isn't it? As you mentioned, you've gone from being in a a small, very much tight-knit community village in in Yorkshire to all of a sudden this massive college in Malvern. And of course, you've got all the the urban areas as well. Haven't you surrounding it in terms of the Malvern Link, I think it's called as well. And then, of course, you've got Worcester, which isn't that far away. So, yeah, yeah, very, very different way of, of living your life. But talking 
of the West Midland City of Worcester. Mm. Let's talk about your time spent with the pairs at New Road because it's always fascinating to detail different people's journeys into county cricket. So in terms of that initial foray from Malvern into Worcestershire, how did that actually materialise? Because you mentioned about the academy, you mentioned about those A-levels as well from the, the latter stages of your time at Malvern, but how did Ben Tuhick go from being a, a cricketer at Malvern College to being a professional at Worcestershire County Cricket Club? Well, when I finished my first year of my A-levels, I said, well, I'm not going to go back to school anymore. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to go to Australia and play cricket or whatever in the winter. Like, or I'll just work. My dad's like a landscaper. I'll work with you, Dad, and I'll just train and whatever. And I said that. He was like, fine, but obviously you either need to go and play cricket somewhere or you need to get a job. And I was like, cool. So I kind of said that to Steve Rhodes, who was DOC and head coach at the time, that I'm done at school. Like I'm, I'm either staying here and I'll train with you and whatever. You either want me, basically, or you're you done. It was kind of like it run its natural course, and he was like, "Well, we'll sign you then," because obviously if things were naturally progressing. I probably would have signed anyway after my two years because they needed a left arm spinner. Chowdhury just got released, who I didn't really play a lot with. To be honest, I didn't really know him that well. They were signing Anchmal a lot. And overseas spinners. So it was kind of like Steve was like, well, this is perfect. We'll sign you. You can learn off all these players. And then when the time comes, if the time comes, you'll be ready. Whenever that time may be. So then I signed my two-year, I got a two-year contract. Me and Josh Tung at the same time. I signed it on my mum's for Nis, what did she have? Renault McGann at the time on the front of it at RGS Worcester after a second team game. Um, and then come that September, I didn't go back to school and I trained full time, which ironically was at the school where we used to net. <laughs> so I was literally going back there and my mates to be in lesson and I'd be like getting bounced out by, you know, 90 mile an hour bounces or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how that happened. And I played a lot of second team cricket from that point until I made my first class debut because I, I, I played my first second team game when I was 15 against Leicestershire at Lutterworth and I got three wickets and I remember it clearly Kevin Sharp picked me he was like right youngin we're going you're playing in the second team Chowdhury's injured you're in and I was like I don't think I am I was like I'm not I don't think I can do this so he drove me and we stayed in the hotel and whatever, and we played. And the team was unreal. Like I remember it being with Brett Dolivera, Gareth Andrew, Ross Whiteley, Cadmore, Tom Fell, George Rhodes. Like it was a great second team. We had one trialist maybe at the time, who I think was Toby Lester. So he's not at Lanks anymore, is he? No, no, got released in 2020. Yeah, there you go. He was um, he was the trialist, so then he ended up signing then, obviously somewhere else. So it was a it was a strong strong second team at that time. Um, and yeah, and then I made my debut. So I'm digressing here. I'm a bit all over the hockey. Um, and then 
I played Surrey in 2018. I can't remember the date, but it was May. And that was an experience. Let's touch upon that in more detail, because to be honest, Ben, that was my next question, actually, with regards to your first class debut, because for any professional cricketer, it is one of the most proud and special moments of your entire life, isn't it? In particular, of your sporting career, to, to go out there for the very first time in that professional environment and live the dream, the dream which is desired for by so many people, isn't it, around the globe, not just here in the UK, but obviously all around the world, people want to play for these 18 first-class counties, and to get that opportunity must be surreal, to be completely honest. But in terms of this particular debut, it wasn't just the occasion itself, was it? Actually walking out onto a cricket field and representing Worcestershire, but you also got to do it at the Kia Oval, which is one of the most iconic venues in world cricket. So in terms of that day, in terms of that moment, in terms of that occasion, what can you remember about stepping onto that field for the very first time and representing the pairs of Worcestershire? It was um, special, to say the least. There was a lot of butterflies and a lot of sweaty palms. Like, it was a nervy time. Um, but it's actually quite funny, and this obviously could just be complete rumour, but, and because... I think Vikram Solanke said to one of our coaches that, oh, he's playing tomorrow. And they were kind of like, well, we're not letting anything off. And he was like, well, how many times has an 18-year-old fielded at first slip in practice? And they were like, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe you've got us. Because I fielded first slip in my, on my first-class debut, which was, again, one of them, I was more nervous about dropping it than actually bowling because you don't really bowl that much in the first innings like on average how, how many spinners bowl more than 10 overs on the first innings in a county championship it doesn't happen much like it does but not loads and loads so I was thinking at least for the first 50 60 overs I'm going to be stood at first slip trying not to clang them so it was that was nervous at the same same time but it was just unreal. Like the oval is, it's the best ground I've ever played on. Like it's unbelievable. The wicket's gorgeous. Like big outfield. It had the mat. It had the stand was pretty much finished. No one was really in it on that side, or like where the big media bit is now, like the new bit. But the members bit was full. There was a good few thousand people there. I'd say at least five. At least. Maybe I'm romanticising. There was 20,000. It was unreal. No, it was good. It was um, an interesting day. Four days, really. It was... I think I batted on the second day. And I you got did. My, did I? I got my you first. did, yes. Bot on. Just to, to touch upon that second day, and, and in terms of the, the game itself, because I do always ask this to, to cricketers who come onto the podcast, but in terms of figures, in terms of wickets, and of course in terms of runs, can you remember what you got in that particular game? Because you're spot on, you did bat on the second day, but before that, I bowled. you also took your maiden first class wicket. Yeah. I bowled on the first day, I got Stuart Meeker out, 
bold. He left it, which was an interesting decision from him because he's not really he wasn't spinning at all. And I was like, well, so this is going to hit the stumps. And he shouldered arms. It hit top off. And then I think so I only got one wicket that first innings. I might be wrong. I think I bowled maybe 13 overs. You bowled more than that. Did I? 20 overs. Yep, 20 overs exactly. One for 60. Which when you think about that for an 18-year-old on debut, or 19 at the time, but for, for a 19-year-old on first-class debut, one for 60, going at three runs and over in a first-class match at the Oval, bear in mind the other thing to, to note about this innings, Surrey scored 434. It wasn't as though they'd scored 180 or, or 240. They racked up a lot of runs yeah. in that particular inning. So that's not bad going at all, mate. You should be very, very proud of that. Thank you. But yeah, very, very economical figures, to say the least. Spot on, bowling Stuart Meeker for 13 in that first innings. And then, of course, in terms of with the bat in hand, I mean, Worcestershire themselves had quite the innings, didn't they? 526 yeah. in response. And out of those 526, Ben Tuhig, how many did you get? Did I get double figures or not? Almost. Nine. Yep, nine from 30. I can't remember a lot of them. Well, there was only nine, so... I remember my first run off Scott Borthwick. He bowled me a googly, and I picked it, but I still cut it out to deep cover, probably off, like, Midland Lake, knowing me. And he went, was that, did you pick me googly? I was like, yeah. And he went, you're a liar. (laughs) But that really calmed my nerves. Like, I was on a... Because I don't know if you know Scott Ball. I don't really know him, but he seems like a funny lad. So he just like kind of made me laugh, and it was a bit like, oh, cheers. I felt like saying cheers. It made me feel quite nice. He does come across very nicely, doesn't he, Scott Borthwick? And Scott, if you are listening, come on to the Counter Cricket Podcast. We've been meaning to get him on for an episode for a while. So, yeah, fingers crossed that can happen in 2024. And in terms of the, the latter stages of the game, Ben, of course, you didn't just get the wickets of Stuart Meeker in this match because he went and got another one and to be honest this is a pretty big wicket considering that over the course of that season had a fantastic run with the bat in hand ultimately part of the team which won the county championship in that season and went on to represent England in test cricket so in terms of that second wicket can you remember who it was? I can it was Rory Burns it was um it was a nice one it was I had some nice footholds because it was the f- either the end of the third day or fourth day, maybe. There was, there was definitely foot, good footholds, and Stoneman and Borthwick were playing me really well. Like, they were just... like I was probably a bit unlucky, like, if you hit the footholds and gloved short leg slips and whatever. But they were just... As soon as I missed the foothold, it was like, they'd just got to run. So my margin for error was slim. And that was, I think Borthwick came in after Burns. Burns obviously opened the batting. And I think it was the foothold, really. I just hit it and he went to sweep it and he just went straight up. Um, but it carried because he obviously sweeped it hard. And Bar- Ed Barnard, who's probably one of my best mates, he was stood like a deepish square leg. Kind of like, if you want to sweep it, you'll get four if you nail it. But if you don't, then you'll be out. And he kind of 
he took a nice catch. He had to run in and catch it. it good good fielder, isn't he? Ed Barnard and yeah, top bloke as well. Shout out to Ed. Been on the podcast. Now plays for, for my county of Warwickshire. Had a yeah. very good debut season for the Bears as well. So, yeah, any excuse to, to give him some praise and some plaudits on the podcast, I shall take with both hands. But quite clearly, Ben, a very, very memorable debut. And in yeah. terms of the result as well, a draw against Surrey at the Oval, in particular in that season, when they were dominant, weren't they? Mm. Let's face it, worthy champions in 2018. That's some result to get. So I'm guessing with the power of hindsight and retrospects, still to this day, an incredibly proud and, and special occasion. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And and also to be in like to be in London at that time, it's not like, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. It's like after the game, you go out for dinner and it all be kind of happening. And it just felt like unreal like it was it was a bit of sweet because you're like oh, it's probably gonna go downhill from here after this like the oval and you know you're in Vauxhall and you've got bricks in down the road and it was like it just felt like you were living the dream like proper rock star I was gonna say it's not a bad start is it to to life as a as a county pro yeah, it does sound like like quite the life to lead. And in terms of that game, I know this is quite a difficult question, Ben, because I'm guessing there would have been quite a few proud moments from your time at New Road. But would you say that was your highlights from your time spent at Worcestershire or did another game or a particular occasion potentially surpass that over the years? Because you did, of course, go on to play the West Indies A-side, didn't you? In yeah. 2018, of that same year, funnily enough, in yeah. your first and only list A match for the pairs. So would you say that first-class debut was your proudest moment or did another one surpass it in the years that followed? I think it was my proudest moment in terms of, like, nostalgia. I think the West Indies game was cool. That was fun. But it was kind of like, um, I don't know, it didn't feel real. And like it still kind of doesn't when people say, "Oh, like you played against West Indies," or you have to write something out or whatever. And I'm like, "Did I?" And then you think, "Oh my god, yeah, I did." Like that was, but it was weird because obviously you're playing against the West Indies, but at New Road, and it just—I don't know—it felt odd at the time. It was, yeah, it was strange, but it was good, a good experience. But I think my my favorite. I played against Yorkshire at the end of that season. And that was my probably my most proud memory because it was the day it was the game that I bowled the best. Like it felt right. I got Tom Cadmore out, which was funny. Because I'd bowled at him so much and he was trying to hit me to the moon. Like we literally went to school together and he was trying to slog me like everywhere. And then one spun and I trapped him LBW like on the back foot. It was nice. It, like even now, I'd be I was pretty happy, like I'd be happy with that ball over and over again, and it just felt right. Like Mo was playing, and he was stood at leg slip like with his helmet on, and you're stood there thinking like this is pretty surreal. Like you, Gary Balance is batting, Mo stood at leg slip like <laughs> with his helmet barely like on his head, and you're just like, this is yeah, this is my favorite moment in cricket. I think. Well, fair enough. That is a lovely moment, to be honest. And yeah, I think the, the word to describe that would be surreal. It yeah. does sound like that. When you describe it like that, 
you can almost vividly picture it in your head and think, oh, I don't know, is that a real scenario? Is that something which is actually happening in my life? But yeah. of course it did on that occasion, Ben. So yeah, I can definitely see why that would be up there in terms of an individual highlight. And in terms of the flip side of the game, because unfortunately cricket isn't yeah. always positive, is it? Let's face it, you do have these wonderful highs, but you also have these tremendous troughs. You do have your low moments in the game as well. It's just part and parcel of this particular sport. So in terms of the tougher moments, aside from that debut and aside from that maiden season with with the pairs of Worcestershire, what do you say was your most difficult or, or toughest moment from your time spent at New Road? It's hard because obviously I got injured and like, we can have a talk about it now or talk about it later, but it probably wasn't my most difficult time. Like I don't know, it was it was weird. It, but we'll we'll get to that. The probably my di- most difficult time was 2020 when I got released, but before that, we came back from the COVID year and we kind of came back in and Throughout COVID, I, d- I don't know, like, I just lost that, I guess, desire to play. Like, I just didn't want to go back. Whereas most people were itching, and I was like, I am so glad. <laughs> like, we're not training or playing or whatever. Like, it was summer, you know. But for me personally, I fa- enjoyed being away from cricket. So then when we had to go back to cricket, I was just like, hit like a ton of bricks i couldn't i couldn't bowl like i didn't want to bowl i didn't have the desire to bowl i was just getting panned around i wasn't really pitching it very well and it was that two three weeks from like i'm a i'm a bowler who needs to bowl so i'm not bowled for five months and it was kind of like we're gonna play in a two weeks time and that was just mind-boggling to me like i was like i'm not ready so then me trying to force myself to get ready put me in a horrific place mentally, which meant that I obviously wasn't bowling very well. And that was something I think stuck with the people, at, obviously, at the time that was like, this bloke's gone. Obviously, I had four months left in my contract. And that was hard, like really hard, because it was kind of like, am I going to have to find this love and desire back? and start bowling well and practice or you're going to be gone like early because I was that bad like I was terrible and that was yeah hard like really hard but I practiced hard after that like I went out and bowled by myself like I went down to a club bowled a lot bowled at Kidderminster which was my club at the time like I just couldn't get the ball out of my hand I was like if I'm going to do it I might as well get released knowing that I, I could still bowl, <laughs> to be honest. Because it was at that point I was like, I am terrible. Like, I wouldn't even get in a second team club side. I was bowling like head high fullies and all sorts. And I think it was just yeah, just that combination of a pandemic and not doing anything changes your psyche big time. Um, and then I had a really good two months of second team end of a second team season. Like every game I played, I took loads of wickets. Took two fifers i took a six for edge baston like i felt great so i was like right i'll probably i'm gonna get re-signed again here that was just a blip 
two-week blip, blah, blah, blah. I was probably a bit overweight, indulged a little bit too much on food and probably red wine, <laughs> knowing me. And then it was then probably a shock again to get released because I knew that I was just getting there again. And I'd obviously given it everything. I could have easily gone bowling head dive fullies. I'm gone. Just <laughs> give sign me off. I'm done. But I actually gave it another crack. And then obviously to build yourself up again to crash down was quite a quite a time, yeah. I can imagine it was because uh, as you've just mentioned there, you think you're getting back into the swing of things, you're thinking that it's almost been rejuvenated and reinvigorated. And then all of a sudden, the opportunity is is pulled away from you and yeah. you're back to square one. In fact, you're probably actually away from square one because at that point, you don't have a contract. You need to find a job. You need to find a way to, to get back on your feet. So I, I completely understand that, to be honest, Ben. It yeah. really does sound like a very, very difficult moment of not only your cricket journey, but your life, to be honest, as is the case for, for many cricketers who've been through those releases. And in terms of that initial decline of love, right, because this is an interesting thing to have actually been brought up on the podcast, but without sounding too profound, where do you think the the root cause of that actually started? When did you think about, you know, almost your love for the game fading? Is that something which happened quite quickly? Was it gradual? When did you first start noticing that as a cricketer? Gradual. When When I got injured... It was like <laughs> how you can only describe like a bad breakup and you're just like emotional and like you're just angry and done and whatever. And that was like two months. But then because I did my ACL and it got reconstructed, you've still got potentially 10 months left. So you're either going to have to get on with it or get over it. So it was one of them things where because I had such a long period of time effectively ahead of me off of cricket I stopped going into the ground I started training elsewhere like I go to a different gym to do my rehab because that's where I got the best out of myself rather than going into the gym at the ground I'd just be watching everyone do everything and I'd be like so I asked if I could go to a you know a, a CrossFit gym or whatever in Worcester did all my stuff there and as you meet new different people and people are in different jobs and whatever and you start exploring avenues outside of cricket it was kind of like if I didn't ever play again I wouldn't have been that bothered which was strange because it had been my life but then because it had probably been my life and I was that extreme in one way I probably went too extreme in the other way and didn't and just kind of put it on the back, like the the far back burner, (laughs) rather than just keep it ticking over, because eventually I'm going to need it, whereas I was kind of all in or nothing at that time. And obviously I wasn't playing, so I was nothing. Like I didn't even remotely relate to cricket. Like I go out and I went to, you know, gigs or whatever, and and people ask what you do, and I probably wouldn't, wouldn't even say cricket. I'd just be like, oh, I'm student or whatever I was so disassociated from it but I was still obviously a cricketer and I was getting paid to like rehab and I was doing that to letter of the law give or take a few letters (laughs) but more often than not yeah you're doing everything you can to get back on the field 
and I just disassociated. Like it was strange. Then when you get back to playing, you get back in that again, that zone. But then COVID happened, so then you're out of it again. And it was kind of like I didn't have a a balance. It was kind of I'm I am all in or I'm not. Whereas obviously now, I still play, but it's not who I am in that sense. Because you have to have that balance now, because you you know, it's not your job. But then it was I didn't have I didn't I couldn't find that yeah right balance. It was strange. Well, to be honest, Ben, I, I kind of understand it in some ways though, because it's probably the worst time to, to come back from an injury, isn't it? Mm. Given the uncertainty of that entire season, let's face it. Of course, you couldn't go overseas in in the winter and you know come back in March because there was no season, was there? To be honest, it wasn't a case of getting straight back into the swing of things as cricketers can in 2023 and 24, for example. It was a completely different time. So it was unfortunate, but it couldn't really have, have come at a worse time in, in terms of your career. So I can understand where you're coming from. And this is something which I don't think we, we speak enough about on the podcast, but a lot of cricketers do feel pigeonholed, right, in terms of that being their life, because this is something which your entire life up until that point you've worked towards, that's what everybody knows you as, right? You're Ben Tuhig, the cricketer the Worcestershire player, the Morven College cricketer, the Burstall cricketer. And yet there's more to life than cricket. There really is. So in terms of that feeling, is that something which you experienced during your time in particular towards the latter stages of that journey at New Road? Yeah, 100%. Like, it was kind of like I was in a point where... Like, if I was if I was still playing now to this day, I'd be fine. But you, you obviously, when you're growing up, you go, and like I'm not obviously old or anything, but you go through periods of time where things affect your life at different stages. And I just didn't really know how to cope with that, with just being the cricketer or not being the cricketer. It was like, well, I still want to be a cricketer, obviously, at that time. But I want to be a person outside of that, and I've got friends outside of that. But it kind of felt like, all consuming and it might be different other counties but we were all of a similar age like we were all pretty from my age and Tungy's age now to like Tom Fellon Colour Cadmore's age so you're talking within the span of like four or five years there was a big nucleus of we were kids like you went out together to the pub you ate together if you weren't playing, you'd be having dinner with them around their house or whatever. So it was kind of all consuming, which was nice because you got friends. I've still got friends out of it now. But at the time, you know, if you played at Yorkshire and someone lived in Hull and someone lived in Halifax, they're not going to go out for dinner together. They've got their own mates. But in Musty, we didn't have that really. It was kind of like you do everything together. So then when you got cut off when you're injured, in no way that was malicious you just you're not playing anymore so they're obviously doing whatever they're doing in the summer and you're doing whatever you're doing you you feel like you've really been cut off like properly from like your whole network so it was um interesting to navigate for sure well it is it's difficult isn't it let's face it it's very very tough 
when you've been in that kind of, of close-knit, tight-knit community, which Worcestershire is, to be honest, as a club. You mm. do get this at the non-test hosting venues. It's the same with Derbyshire, North Ants. You do find this with an awful lot of clubs in these smaller regions. They do tend to be a bit more family-orientated, don't they? And you do get to know each other on an even more personal level because you do have that time spent outside of the game. So, no, I completely understand that. And it is difficult, isn't it? Once you do have an injury in particular, one of your severity, Ben, I know we we have only kind of touched upon it, but it was a bad injury, wasn't it? Let's face it, playing five-side football, an ACL tear, I mean, that must have been very, very excruciating at the time as well, isn't it? The fact that you've gone out to play a game of football and all of a sudden now you can't play cricket. You're kind of stuck for, yeah. for things to do and you're having to rehab it. So I'm guessing that must have been tremendously tough as well. And in terms of your release from Worcestershire, right, because, again, for a lot of cricketers, they find it very difficult to adapt to life away from cricket in particular in those early weeks and early months. How did you take the news of your release, given given the fact that you thought that you were on that road to potentially getting a new deal? Um, it probably didn't hit me till the following summer, to be honest, because it's also a little bit like you've got no commitment to like keeping fit and training and whatever. So you're kind of in that honeymoon phase of like I'm not a cricketer let's see what it's about kind of thing me and my partner we went she just finished her work as well like taking a new contract somewhere else and we went to Italy for a month like, and traveled and it was like really nice to just be like go and do something that you can't normally do like you can't normally travel for a whole month in September because you're playing so we did that and then it was more than what am I going to do for my you know, job? Because I knew I wasn't going to retrial. Like I had no interest or desire to do that. It kind of swept that away, to be honest, when, you got, when I got released. I think some people take it two ways. They either go, I'm going to, you know, really prove them wrong. And I probably said that like in the thing, like, I'll show you. <laughs> but deep, deep down, I was probably like, well, I really, you know, put myself through that again. Um, so it was kind of like, what am I going to do? And I think coaching was always something that I'd been interested in. And kind of why we, we moved here to Bishop Stortford, where I am now mainly because they offered me a playing coaching role, to be honest, as a, as of April. So I only had the winter to get through and, you know, you do odd bits and bobs to make money wherever you can and pay the rent and whatnot. Um, but luckily I lived at George Rhodes' house. So it was kind of like I could pay him as and when. You know, I'll pay, I promise. But, you know, I ain't got a job anymore, George, if you didn't notice. Um, so it, that was nice. So I was, I wasn't, you know, struggling for to live anywhere or whatever. So I, as long as I had some work coming in, it was kind of like get through to that and get to Bishop Stortford and see what happens. And that's where I set up with another person who helps me out a bit on the admin side and stuff. Um, my cricket academy, which is 
BT Cricket Academy. <laughs> Plug that in there. Oh, of course, Ben. Feel free to. I mean, we'll yeah. give it a proper a proper promo and a proper ah. plug towards the, the end of the episode. But Thanks. I've got to ask, actually, because this isn't something we hear too often on the podcast. We hear a lot of former players go into the world of coaching, but they don't always set up an academy in particular so soon after their playing days have actually finished. So in terms of that process, how do you go from being released from a contract to going into coaching and setting up your own academy? It's it's quite the process, isn't it, by the sounds of it? Yeah, it is. Um, and I think because we're located, obviously, well, for people who know, like you've got the pick of East Hearts and West Essex, so you've got two counties that meet in each other and we're pretty much smack in the middle of, you know, two districts. And the, I guess the desire for cricket here is high. Like Bishop's Dot for Cricket Club's a great club. Like I play for them, not just because I play for them or whatever, but like you could go down there now and there'll be 20 people having a beer and it's January. So then in the summer you get, 200 people on a Saturday. It's just like the community hub. But I've genuinely played in front of more people than I have in some second team games. Well, I definitely have, like every week on a Saturday. So it's got a real good like club feel and they've got a lot of juniors and it was crying out, really. I was coaching a lot of them one-to-one. It was kind of like, well, I need you all together. Like, I want you to all come together so then you're all having your one-to-ones and you're playing in the style that obviously I'm coaching you and you've got your own style and I want to put my hat on that pretty much. Um, so it kind of happened like that. And in the summer, it's it's kind it's a pay-as-you-come academy. You could come to one, you could come to 20. Obviously, if you come to 20, you'll be 20 times better than the person who comes to one. But I'm going to train you and the coach that I have, we're all under the same ethos that we want to just create three-dimensional cricketers that just, when they're playing, they're just, people can't stop watching them. Even if that's, you know, because they're they're, they're great at just hitting down the ground or they're great at scooping, reverse sweeping, whatever, they just have a bit of something different bit of wow factor and how we practice is that like you get out who cares you go reverse sweep a seamer you get bold cool it's fine like i said earlier it's not the end of the world but you hit one you one step closer to playing one in a game you one step closer to playing it when it matters and then when it does matter and you play it you reverse sweep someone for four you need four to win you're a legend do you know what i mean like that's what lives with you in cricket i think like when you need four to win and you come down and you whack it over wide long on for, for four, you'll remember that. You won't remember, you know, like that ner- nudge and nerdle for one into the offside when you're on 22. So it's it's kind of find a balance of creating memories for these kids so they want to keep playing, but also making them better. Absolutely. And to be honest, Ben, you have actually just answered my question there in terms of your approach to coaching. So I won't re-ask that question because you've just answered it. But something which I did want to touch upon is actually the aim of the Ben 2 Hit Cricket Academy. So I'm guessing from that description, you're wanting to generate a next generation of fearless cricketers who can 
adapt their game based on their personality, basically. Just go out there and have fun, express themselves as the cricketer that they want to be. So in terms of the aims of the academy, what are you guys hoping to achieve heading into the near future? I think for us, and me in particular, it's creating cricketers that have our stamp as such. Like you could walk out onto a field and know that, you know, bang, 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 have been coached by us because you can see it in the way that they play. And it's kind of like that. When I kind of set it up, I, I was I was watching, when I was thinking about it a lot, I watched a Alex Ferguson documentary. And you know like how he created an ethos that took Man United for 20 years? It wasn't short-term goal. It was long-term. It was the same thing that I'm thinking. It Actually, if I can get these kids in at nine, they might not play a first-team Premier League game for 10 years. But if they're practising the way that I think is right or that's going to better them, in my opinion, in 10 years, you'll be ready. And then when you are ready, I could watch and be like, I've seen you do that a lot. And oh, wow, that's how we practice our fielding. It's kind of like the next level of everything that I've ever been taught as a cricketer, I'm trying to pass on to them. So with also my opinions and spin on it at the same time. So I'm kind of like cherry picking, you know, international coaches that have coached me and stuff that hasn't worked for me, but I know will work for someone else. And then my own ideas and drills and thoughts and feelings on that too, if that makes sense. But I think this summer, if we played a game, which I think we might, just there's a tour inside from India that I kind of know a guy roughly for it who fancies it. We'll either be amazing or we'll be rubbish. (laughs) I don't think we'll be mediocre, which is good because then at least when we're good, we're good. And that's what I want them to be because that's what will keep them playing. So that's the goal. Well, it sounds like a very nice goal, to be honest. And obviously at this particular stage of their, their journey in cricket, it's not about the results. It's going out there and having fun, isn't it? It's about developing that love, that passion for this wonderful sport. So, to be honest, Ben, wishing you all the very best of luck with that. And and fingers crossed that that particular match does take place. Because, yeah, regardless of the results, it's a learning experience. And it's something which those cricketers will remember for a very, very long time. And in terms of the art of coaching, just before we touch upon the future and we, we wrap up today's episode of the podcast, what do you say is your favourite aspects of this particular industry? Because coaching is so rewarding, isn't it? You can potentially change someone's entire life if they go on to represent a county or even just get into an academy and you put them on the right steps in this journey. It really is an incredibly satisfying thing to do. And even if they don't go pro, if you can just instill a love and passion for this game for the rest of that person's life, you're making a difference. So it's one of the most tremendously rewarding things that you can do in all of sports, to be honest. Coaching is absolutely wonderful. So in terms of the industry itself, what do you say is your favourite aspect of being a cricket coach? I think 
genuinely watching someone enjoy what you've put on like it is so rewarding even if it's a simple drill like the world's most simple underarm drill or whatever or even a agility drill is even if it's not cricket related and they're just having a laugh with it and a good time and you can tell that they're really engaged that's the best thing that's the best thing and the only other thing that i love is when you explain something to someone and they don't get it and then 10 minutes later they do it and they're like oh my god i get it and you're like yeah you do <laughs> and you can just see it that they do get it and they're like yeah now that'll stick with you even if it's 10 minutes or you know 10 sessions but as soon as they get it you're just like right done my job's done you've got it 100 percent, and yeah it's it must be nice mustn't it watching people improve as well not just in terms of the enjoyment and the passion for the game but as you mentioned you've instilled your knowledge onto someone else who can then pass that on in the future it's it's brilliant honestly for anyone who's thinking of becoming a cricket coach just go for it. Honestly, you can go for a level one, you can go for level two. There's the support coach as well, which is something yeah. that I've just recently become qualified in just to dip my feet into the water of coaching. And it's really good. Honestly, I cannot recommend it enough. So we'll probably leave the links to the ECB coaching website actually Definitely. in the description below because we always need coaches, whether that's paid coaches or volunteers. Coaches are the lifeblood of the game they really are they pass on their knowledge to the next generation and who knows as i said one of the people or even multiple of the people that you train that you coach that you instill that passion and love for the game in could go on to make it one day that's the great thing about coaching and even if they don't if you've made sure they're having a good time they're enjoying the game of cricket you've done your job so either way it's tremendously rewarding and Ben, in terms of the future then, just before we wrap up what's been a fascinating episode of the podcast, I think this has been a great way to start off 2024, to be honest. What does the future hold for Ben Tuhig and the Ben Tuhig Cricket Academy? What are you hoping to achieve from both a personal and a career perspective heading into the rest of this year and, of course, the years that follow? I think short term for the Cricket Academy would be to expand in terms of clubs that we hit. We're, at the moment, we're, we go to Bishop Stortford, which you don't have to play for Bishop Stortford. We just host it there. Um, and a lot of 30, 40% of the kids might not play for Bishop Stortford. Um, they probably end up doing that eventually because obviously it's a big club in the area. Um and then we go down to Bellas, which is in Greys, in um, Essex. And I would enjoy maybe a couple more clubs as of the summer. And travel doesn't really matter within reason, as long as, you know, as long as the, the, the kids are there and they're willing to learn and have a good time, then, you know, I'm there to coach them. I'm happy with that. And I think long term, which... My missus will probably kill me if she ever listens to it. I'd love to coach in the US. Yeah. Because it's, it's up at all Canada. I think it's just cool. Like, it's up and coming. 
it's it grows the sport. Like I've been to Australia, I've coached. I've been to South Africa and I've played like cricket is like there. It's never leaving. But in like the North Americas, it's kind of like they're just, you know, dipping their toe into it. And I think, why not? I think it'd be cool. Well, Ben, it goes without saying, mate, but obviously myself and everybody associated with the Counter Cricket Podcast are wishing yourself and the rest of the academy all the best of luck. Heading into the rest of this year and, of course, the years that follow in in both the short term and the long term. I think in terms of the short term, definitely sensible. Expand your contacts, expand your reach and just build on those existing foundations. But that's the great thing about coaching and these academies. It's the potential for expansion. And we are at a very, very interesting and in many ways exciting time in the game of cricket because of this global expansion we're seeing like european cricket for example right the ecl is growing exponentially in countries like france hungary spain gibraltar malta italy it's expanding across the continents then of course we've got the americas with major league cricket canada as well has got some very very good young cricketers and some outstanding veterans as well i think of the likes of nitish kumar and sad bin zafar they're a very, very good cricketing nation at the associate level. So very excited to see how they do in the T20 World Cup. And yeah, the the opportunities and the potential avenues are countless, aren't they? It's a yeah. very, very exciting time, to be honest, to be in the world of coaching and to potentially expand this game, not just in this country, but of course on a global scale. So fingers crossed everything goes that way, pal. And yeah, things can go well in the future. Who knows? Maybe a Ben Tuhid Cricket Academy in Montreal or Toronto oh, no. or Vancouver, wherever, or indeed in the US or wherever. Honestly, the potential is definitely there. But, mate, I think that is a wonderful place to, to wrap up what's been an outstanding episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. Just looking at the time, that's absolutely flown by, to be honest. I didn't realise we've been recording for well over an hour. So, yeah, apologies, Ben, if you no, do have some you. things to do. But, yeah, just before we say our final goodbyes for the episode, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, your academy, anything like that? Um, yeah, <laughs> my academy would be a great place to start. So we're on Instagram at BT Cricket Academy. Um, get in touch. I think if anyone's listening and they're a club, especially in the east of England area, even down into you know Sussex and Kent, it's not a million miles away. And you think there is a, a need for a professional coach at your club, then don't hesitate to get in touch. Similarly, if you're a player and you need help, I can obviously facilitate in any way that I can. Um, just drop me a message and hopefully we can form some relationships. Of course, Ben. And yes, we'll leave the links to the social media channels and, of course, the website in the podcast description below. So, again, if you fancy some coaching from Ben, you're interested in getting involved in the academy, feel free to check it out, to be honest. As I said, sounds like some very, very exciting times in 2024. So, might be a good time to join. And, of course, alongside those links, we'll leave the links to Ben's social media channels and, of course, to those coaching courses as well. We always like to inspire the next generation of cricket coaches and yeah, if you can get involved, please do, whether that's in a volunteer capacity or indeed on a paid level, every little helps 
in the game of cricket in terms of inspiring that next generation of cricketers. So if you're interested in coaching, take the plunge, get involved. That would be my final piece of advice for today's episode of the County Cricket Podcast. But that is practically it from myself and Ben for today's episode of TCCP. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.